Hey, this morning we're going to continue on in our series in the book of Acts. We, we got two more chapters, uh, believe it or not. We've been in this book for about a year and a half, and we're looking at that last eight to ten years of Paul's life, what it looks like to finish your life strong for the cause and name of Jesus Christ. And today what we want to camp on to finish strong means to let your light shine. And what I mean by that specifically today is last time we were in Acts, we talked about the hope that Paul had that kept him going, right? Today I want to show you in... Hopefully God will show us how that hope wasn't something that Paul just used for himself. He didn't just hoard it. I got this hope and I'm just, all these people around me are dying in desperation. He let that hope shine out of him to be a blessing to the people around him. No matter what the circumstance. So we're going to pick up, last week you remember he finished another trial. And some of you guys are so relieved, I'm relieved that he's done with these trials for now. He's been in Caesarea for two years. And Paul, as you guys know, he was a traveling man. Even before he was a Christian, as a Pharisee, he would travel to other cities to persecute Christians and he got saved. And he traveled around the known world sharing Jesus. So I wonder what that was like for him to stay in one place for two years. I can see him sitting there just getting antsy. Yeah, he could see his friends. Yeah, he could get out of prison. But any, any of you like that? You just got to be on the go. That was Paul. He, I don't think he liked to sit still. So today he, he's out. He's on his way to Rome. You remember he appealed to Rome and they sent him on after that last trial. And today is going to be especially fun for those of you who love the ocean. Any ocean lovers here? Yeah, we got a few. Paul is going to go on a sea journey. So if you love the ocean, I want you to imagine that smell of that salt air, the splash of the waves on you. Uh, If you love being on a ship, just being out there, seeing that water go into infinity to where all you see is water. That's what today's going to be about. It's going to be about a journey by sea. So get your Pirates of the Caribbean music fired up in there. All right. Let's go. Let's go with Paul. Let's get out of Caesarea and see where he's heading. Acts chapter 27. We're going to look at how he shined his light on this journey to Rome. Verse 1. This first part's going to be a lot of details about the journey, so we're not going to camp here long. It says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Now, I want to just briefly stop here. Something cool about this, Aristarchus was one of Paul's ministry buddies. He willingly was hanging out with Paul, probably in Caesarea for that two years. And the fact that it says us with us, who else was with Paul here? Luke. So Paul had two buddies. Imagine how much that meant to him during that two years and on this journey that voluntarily went along. Next day we landed at Sidon and Julius in kindness to Paul allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. A lot of details in here. People have looked at Luke's 
writing in this passage of travel by sea. You hear, hear of a lot of ports here. Later on, you'll hear more about the ship. This is the most detailed passage about sea travel in that era that there is, period, in any literature. Luke knew something about sea travel. And there was a group of uh, Scottish skeptics in the late 19th century that wanted to disprove the Bible. So one of their plans was, hey, we're going to trace this route that, that Luke, Luke did here with Paul and just go out to prove it wrong. There was a man named Sir William Ramsey who said, I'm going to check this out. He went out from this group of Scottish skeptics, checked out these places. You know what happened? He ended up becoming a believer that actually wrote two books about the book of Acts and the book of Paul, defending that everything Luke wrote here was spot on. Luke Luke was no slack historian. But they they get on this Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. We're going to find out later this is no small ship. 276 prisoners are traveling along with Paul. And this was probably a grain ship. Alexandria was in Egypt. There weren't any ships in that day just for passengers. There was no carnival cruise line or anything like that. So centurions could find these grain ships and say, hey, we're coming with you, me and my 276 prisoners. So that's what they did. They hopped on this ship. Verse 7, we made slow headway for many days because of the wind and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens. I you remember that name, Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. You can already see there's some, some tones of danger here, right? They're having difficulty sailing. The winds are making it difficult. They land at this place called Fair Havens. I want you to watch this conversation in verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. What's going on with that? Uh, There's a season between September and November that was dangerous to sail. There's a season from November to February that was impossible to sail. Everybody that sailed knew that. And they were coming into that, that season. You don't sail now, just like... You don't plan outdoor worship events at church next door during monsoon season, right? (laughs) That was my idea, by the way. (laughs) Bad idea. Um, If you were here last year, you remember bringing all the chairs in from outside. There's certain things you don't do at certain times of year. This was a time of year you don't go sailing. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Now, Paul was no slouch when it came to travel. People have looked at the book of Acts up till this point and say that he would probably traveled by sea at least 10 times. Corinthians tells us that he had already been in several shipwrecks, so he knew something about that as well. But the centurion says, this is a a political prisoner. I'm going to choose to listen to the captain. We're going to sail on. They did not listen to Paul's advice at Fair Havens. I want to pause here just to make an application to our lives. They're at a place called Fair Havens, right? I want to draw a parallel to life. Let's say Fair Havens is that time in life where everything's going good. All the paychecks are coming in. Everybody in my family's healthy. Uh, We're going on vacation next week, all this kind of stuff. Everything's coming together. A lot of times, have you noticed that when you come to someone 
that doesn't yet know Jesus at that moment and, and you share your hope in Jesus, sometimes at a moment like that, what's the natural response? What do I need him for? I'm good. I, I'm good. I'm living in fair havens. Like Jesus said about the rich man, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When you're sitting at fair havens, you don't feel the need to listen to what God's messenger says, right? Maybe you've been there. Maybe, maybe you are there. So they set out. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, check this out. The majority decided that we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. <laughs> so somebody offers to sell you some beachfront property in Phoenix, they may not be lying, Okay. <laughs> This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. They get this breeze, say, hey, this is exactly what we want. Let's go. Verse 14, things take a turn. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster. It sounds cooler in some versions. It's called the Euroclidon. Here comes the Euroclidon. It says, strong gale wind that comes from the northeast swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. People look at the maps of this area. You know how far they were blown off course into the Adrian Sea? 500 miles by this gale force wind. You wonder what Paul's thinking, <laughs> sitting there. What would you be thinking if you had warned him? <laughs> Check this out. They got so desperate, it says they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. That was something they did back in that day. There were wood ships, and they were afraid the planks would come apart, so run ropes underneath, tie them up. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along to slow it down. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Let's get the cargo out of here. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They're a long ways from fair havens now, right? We go from fair havens to giving up all hope of being saved. Paul's going to use this opportunity. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Now, as Justin and I were talking about this on Friday, we don't really believe Paul is coming off with an I told you so kind of attitude. But what he is saying is, guys, I tried to warn you last time. <laughs> Please listen to me this time. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And check out where he got this source of hope and encouragement. Last night, Verse 23, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. 
For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. I want to point out a couple things here. We all know this is Paul. The Paul we so look up to as one of the founders of the church, right? So when he speaks, we tend to listen. But to those in that ship, who was this? A prisoner. And here he is in the middle of a crisis, rising to a place of leadership. That tells me something encouraging that whatever our station in life, whatever insecurities we may face about, well, I'm only this or I'm only that or I don't have that or I don't have this, God can use us. He's using a prisoner on a ship to speak encouragement to these people who are now listening very intently. Why are they listening so intently now? (laughs) Yeah, they have no hope. That's why Jesus says things like, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Often it's only when people are at that moment where they know their need that they'll hear what you and I have to say about Jesus. The encouragement here is if they don't listen to you at first, don't give up. Don't give up. If you talk to them at the fair havens in their life and they've turned you down and what you offer with Jesus, continue praying. Don't go off sulking and say, fine, I tried. I'm done. That's what Paul could have done, right? I am a prisoner on a ship. I'm just going to go hunker down in some nasty corner and stay to myself the rest of this time because they won't listen to me. They don't care. He didn't do that. And we believe that he probably was, was praying for these people also. You know why? At the middle of verse uh, 24, 25 there, the angel said to him, God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Why would the angel say that to Paul? Yes, he wasn't only praying for his own safety. He was praying for the safety of prisoners. Who knows what these prisoners had done? Who knows what they were guilty of? But here's Paul praying for them. So let's go on to verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. I don't know if any of you are avid sailors, but I've heard that sailors can actually smell when land is getting close. They're out on the ocean and they can tell just with their noses that land is getting close. There are other signs, obviously. There's the sound of waves crashing and things like that. So they took soundings. What that is is they take these long ropes with rocks on the bottom. They drop them in to find out how deep the water is. And one time it was 120 feet deep. Short time later, they found it was 90 feet deep, which means we're getting close to land. It's getting shallower. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. And then there's a covert operation. Verse 30, in an, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. They're pretending like they're going to drop some anchors in. These are the sailors, the only ones that can sail this thing. They really want to escape. And watch what happened. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. This was a moment of crisis here, right? Do we believe Paul and what God has said to him or do we do what makes sense? Common sense wise. What did the soldiers do? They cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now think about that. They went from not listening to Paul at all at Fair Havens to where they would actually cut 
physically speaking, the only means of being saved away from the boat because they now believed what he had to say. Why? Because he had remained consistent through this. What he had said earlier had come to pass. He had, he had not changed character. He had some credibility, and they were ready to listen. He, he was also practical. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Now one thing we can see about Paul is he's a man of faith, right? But he's also aware that just because I'm a man of faith doesn't mean there's not practical needs here. Sometimes as we minister the gospel, we need to realize that those tangible needs are every bit as important. You, you try to preach Jesus to someone who's starving right in front of you, it's going to be very hard for them to hear what you have to say, right? Paul knows these men need food. And this reminds me of something. When you're in the middle of life's storms, I talked to somebody about this this week. We're overwhelmed by the circumstances, and we don't even know where to begin praying, what to do. Something somebody told me one time, I'm not saying Paul did this actually, but in, in his actions, it looks like he did something similar. You look at the situation and you say, all right, there are things that I can do nothing about in this situation. For Paul, in this case, it was the wind, the waves, the, where this boat was going. He had no control over that. You put those on a sheet of paper on the side that says, I can't do anything about those. And you give those to God. God, I trust you with those. The other side of the paper, you trust God with also, but it's a different side. It's things that I can do something about. I can, in this case, make sure that this crew eats some food because they're weak. I can do that. Uh, whatever situation you're in, there are th things of both kinds. There's some things you can't do anything about. There's some things you can do something about. Break them down. He does what he can here, and he encourages them. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. That's the kind of difference one of God's people can make in a dark situation. The, had the weather changed yet? Were the waves still raging in and the wind was still blowing? But what happened here? What, what does it say about these men who moments ago were without hope? It says they were all encouraged. Do you believe you can make that kind of difference in a dark situation as God's representative? Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. They cut loose the anchors, left them in the sea, untied the ropes that held the rudders, hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. You got this boat hung up in this sandbar, right? Waves just ripping it apart now. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept him from carrying out their plan. He said, those of you who can swim, jump overboard, get to land. Rest of you get there on planks. And they all reached land 
safely. What God had told Paul would happen had happened. And we're going to look just real briefly what happened on this island called Malta. Chapter 28, this is a great story. Malta, you know what that word means, anybody? Refuge. This was the refuge that God had promised, the safety. Once safely on shore, we found out it was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And check this out. This is just testament to me. God had told Paul something. You will get to Rome and nothing was going to stop it. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. I love the islanders here. They're so much like the public opinion world of today. They're so easily changed. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. They watched him to see if he's going to swell up or fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> they went from he must be a criminal to he must be God, just like that. But you see God's protection on God's servant there, right? You will get to, uh, to Rome, Paul. And we may not have a specific word like that from God, but wherever it is he wants you to get to, you're going to get there. Nothing's going to stop it. But again, we see this light shining out of Paul. Okay, I'm spared from the viper. I mean, somebody could have used that for their own purposes, right? This whole island thinks I'm a god. I'm going to have some fun here for this three months, all right? (laughs) You will worship me. You will bring me steak. You will bring me lobster. You will... He could have had a lot of fun with this, but what does he use his, his position, his, his respect to, to do? He, he gives it back to God and he uses it to bless people, to shine his light. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him shining that light. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. I just want to reiterate what's going on here from a a bigger perspective. It's hard for us because we know of Paul, again, as Paul the Apostle. How easy it would have been to say, I'm a prisoner on a journey. I'm just going to tuck away in this corner and think or read my scrolls or whatever he wanted to do. Instead, he had this attitude that God, use me for your purposes, even in this situation. They didn't listen to me early on at Fair Havens, but I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to bring encouragement in the middle of the storm. I'm going to bring your healing to this island. Then we see in verse 11, after three months, We put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. And with that, we're going to close. Castor and Pollux were two Greek gods that were supposedly sons of Zeus. They were charged with protecting sailors on their journeys. One one commentator imagined Paul looking at those figureheads and looking at Luke and Aristarchus and saying to them, we got a much better protector than those two. 
And this whole story bore that out. So as we close, I want you to, to close your own eyes for a minute. I know there's a lot in this travel story. I want us to just think for a moment. Who is it in your life that you've been talking to about the hope that you have? Maybe you began the talk at Fair Havens in their life and they, they had no interest uh, because on the surface, life was good. Who, who is that individual that that conversation has begun with? Maybe it was last month or last year, several years ago. And what's, what's your attitude been since then? They rejected it early on. Have you given up? Or are you continuing to pray for God to break through in their life? And if and when they, they come back to you in the middle of a trial, what, what's your attitude going to be? Are, are you going to be sullen and proud because they didn't listen to you the first time and hold back what you have to offer? Or are you going to seize the moment when they're desperate to speak of the hope that you have? Paul prayed for those prisoners, those those men on that ship. Who are those people in your life that are in a dangerous journey right now? Let's take just a minute or two and pray for them silently by name. Who's in the middle of a storm that needs a word of encouragement? Maybe something God gave you in a quiet time from his word that you need to pass on to them this week. And if he's bringing that someone to mind, would you commit to God right now to say, yes, I will do that. I will speak with them. I will shine my light. Father, I thank you for Paul's example. In every situation we find him, by the power of your Holy Spirit, he let your light shine in him. I pray that we'd be people of like mind and like heart. That whether we're at fair havens or in the middle of a raging storm, we'd be those people of hope. I think of our community as we anticipate and are already beginning to see another fire season. It's, it's hard after last year. Sat in the hearings this week for Andrew Ashcraft's benefits and it, I know it brought it all back for the, the family, for the community. I pray that you'd help us to be that voice of hope in the middle of that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be that voice of hope in the individuals that came to our minds this morning. And Lord, that we wouldn't use the hope that you've given us just for me and mine, but that we would let it overflow into the lives around us. Father, even as we collect our offering this morning, I will pray that you give us wisdom to use it to that end, to shine your light in this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.